Chapter Two of the Complete Works of Artemus Ward, Part Two, War, by Charles Ferrar Brown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Thrilling Scenes in Dixie. I had a narrow escape from the sunny South. The swings and errors of outrageous fortune alluded to by Hamlick weren't nothing in comparison to my troubles. I come pesky near swearing some profane oaths more'n onct, but I hope I didn't do it, for I promised she whose name shall be nameless, except that her initials is Betsy J., that I'll join the meeting house at Bladensville just as soon as I can scrape money enough together so I can afford to be pious in good style like my wealthy neighbors. But if I'm confiscated again, I'm afraid I shall continue on my present benighted state for some time. I figured conspicuously in many thrilling scenes in my tower from Montgomery to my homestead, and on several occasions I thought the great comic paper wouldn't be enriched no more with my lubrications. After bidding adieu to Jefferson D., I started for the depot. I saw a nigger sitting on a fence and playing on a banjo. My African brother, said I, quoting from a track I once read, you belong to a very interesting race. Your masters is going to war exclusively on your account. Yes, boss, he replied, and I wish him honorable graves. And he went on playing the banjo, laughing all over and opening his mouth wide enough to drive in an old-fashioned two-wheeled chase. The train of cars in which I was to trust my valuable life was the scaliest, ricketiest-looking lot of concerns that I ever saw on wheels afore. What time does this string of second-hand coffins leave? I inquired of the depot master. He said directly, and I went in and sat down. I hadn't more than fairly squatted for a dark-looking man with a swinister expression into his countenance entered the cars, and looking very sharp at me, he asked, What was my principles? Secesh, I answered. I'm a dissoluter. I'm in favor of Jeff Davis, Beauregard, Pickens, Captain Kidd, Bluebeard, Monroe Edwards, the Devil, Mrs. Cunningham, and all the rest of them. You're in favor of the war? Why, certainly. By all means. I'm in favor of this war and also of the next war. I've been in favor of the next war for over 16 years. War to the knife, said the man. Blood, ergo, blood, said I though them words isn't original with me. Them words was writ by Shakespeare, who is dead. His mantle fell onto the author of The Seven Sisters, who was going to have a spring overcoat made out of it. We got under way at last, and uh, proceeded on our journey at about the rate of speed which is generally observed by properly conducted funeral processions. A handsome young gal, with a red musketeer bar on the back of her head, and a sassy little black hat tipped over her forehead, sat in the seat with me. She wore a little secesh flag pinned under her hat, and she was a-going for to see her true love who had joined the Southern Army, all so bold and gay. So she told me. She was chilly, and I offered her my blanket. Father livin'? I asked. Yes, sir. Got any uncles? A heap. Uncle Thomas is dead, though. Well, peace to Uncle Thomas's ashes and success to him. I will be your Uncle Thomas. Lean on me, my pretty secesher, and linger in blissful repose. She slept as securely as in her own housing, 
and didn't disturb the solemn stillness of the night with every snore. At the first station, a troop of soldiers entered the cars and inquired if old waxworks was on board. Well, this was the disrespective style in which they referred to me. Because if old waxworks is on board, says a man with a face like a double-breasted lobster, we're going to hang old waxworks. My illustrious and patriotic bummers, says I, a getting up and taking off my chapeau. If you allude to A. Ward, it's my pleasing duty to inform you that he's dead. He saw the error of his ways at fifteen minutes past two yesterday, and stabbed himself with a stuffed sled stake, dying in five beautiful tableaus to slow music. His last words was, My professional career is over, I jerk no more. And who be you? I'm a student in Senator Benjamin's law office. I'm going up north to steal some spoons and things for the Southern Army. Well, this was satisfactory, and the intoxicated troopers went off. At the next station, the pretty little secessure awoke and said she must get out there. I bid her a kind adieu and give her some provisions. Accept my blessing and this hunk of gingerbread, I said. She thanked me muchly and tripped gaily away. There's considerable human nature in a man, and I'm afraid I shall always give aid and comfort to the enemy if he comes to me in the shape of a nice young gal. At the next station I didn't get off so easy. I was dragged out of the cars and rolled in the mud for several minutes for the purpose of taking the conceit out of me, as a secessor kindly stated. I was let up finally, when a powerful large secessor came up and embraced me, and to show that he had no hard feelings agin me, put his nose into my mouth. I returned the compliment by placing my stomach suddenly agin his right foot, when he kindly made a spittoon of his able-bodied face. Actuated by a desire to see whether the secessioner had been vaccinated, I then fastened my teeth onto his left coat sleeve and tore it to the shoulder. We then violently bunted our heads together for a few minutes, danced around a little, and sat down in a mud puddle. We rose to our feet again, and by a sudden and adroit movement, I placed my left eye again the secessor's fist. We then rushed into each other's arms and fell under a two-horse wagon. I was very much exhausted and didn't care about getting up again, but the man said he reckoned I'd better, and I concluded I would. He pulled me up, but I hadn't been on my feet more than two seconds before the ground flew up and hit me in the head. The crowd said it was high old sport, but I couldn't exactly see where the laughter came in. I riz and we embraced again. We careered madly to a steep bank where I got the upper hands of my antagonist and threw him into the ravine. He fell about forty feet, striking a grindstone pretty hard. I understand he was injured. I haven't heard from the grindstone. A man in a cocked hat come up and said he felt as though a apology was due me. There was a mistake. The crowd had taken me for another man. I told him not to mention it, and asked him if his wife and little ones was so as to be about, and got on board the train, which had stopped at that station twenty minutes for refreshments. I got all I wanted. It was the heartiest meal I ever ate. I was rid on a rail the next day, a bunch of blazing firecrackers being tied to my coat-tails. It was a fine spectacle in a dramatic point of view, but 
I didn't enjoy it. I had other adventures of a startling kind, but why continue? Why lacerate the public bosom with these here things? Sufficient to say I got across Mason and Dixie's line safe at last. I made tracks for my homestead, but she to whom I'm harnessed for life failed to recognize in the emaciated being who stood before her the gushing youth of forty-six summers who had left her only a few months before. But I went into the pantry and brought out a certain black bottle. Raising it to my lips, I said, Here's to you, old gal. I did it so natural that she knowed me at once. Those form, them voice, that natural style of doing things, tis he, she cried, and rushed into my arms. I was too much for her, and she fell into a swoon. I come very near swoonding myself. No more today from yours for the perpetuation of the Union and the bringing of the goddess of liberty out of her present bad fix. End of chapter 2